Welcome to Video Gameography, Game Informer's number one video game history podcast where we laugh and we learn. I am Marcus Stewart. I am joined, as always, by John Carson. Hello. Hello, Marcus. I'm I'm happy to be back. Uh, back in the seat, back in the saddle, uh, as they say. That is what they say. And I don't know if you're, he, you smell it, John. It's that new oh. that new smell, that new season smell. Mm-hmm. It's smells fresh hellish. Out, yeah, we've cleaned out all that super giant garbage. And <laughs> <laughs> Sweep it out. We had to carry the kid, throw him into the dumpster with the, the, the transistor sword, because we got to make room for a brand new topic. We announced it last week. We are launching season, oh my goodness, season six? Is that where we're at, John? I think so. I wasn't here for the first few, so I, I, I'm i not reliable for the count. Three for you, I guess. <laughs> it is. It is, yeah. But we're talking about Devil May Cry, the coolest, most stylish, rock star, whatever you want to call it, any adjective that, that sounds cool, that is what you can uh, attach to Devil May Cry. We are going to be talking about Devil May Cry 1, 2, 3, for DMC Devil May Cry and five throughout the next six weeks. And for this first episode, we are joined by a very special guest, former Game Informer editor, current MinMax contributor, one of the greatest human beings that ever lived, Mr. Joe Juba. Oh, <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello, I thought you were introducing someone else that was a great human being. Thank you for having me. I'm, it's I, fun, fun to be back. Yeah, how does it feel being better than everyone? <laughs> Well, you know, I try to stay humble about it, but it's hard when you're this good, so. It's okay. great to have a saint along for the ride uh, as we talk <laughs> about all these levels. That, that's a good point. That is a good point. And we invited you, Joe, because you, uh, like us, are a big Devil May Cry fan. Uh, to, you know, I can't think of a better person to have on for this first episode. So, you know, just real quick, can you give us a rundown of your history with DMC and specifically this very first game? Yeah, absolutely. Though I want to also say I'm sorry for whoever you got to sit in on your second episode because DMZ2 is a much rougher ride. But <laughs> are you are you prepared for that? We're gonna I have a whole have story about play playing that game for the first time. Uh, I'm excited same, to tell. actually, but also one that I'm not excited to tell because it's pretty tragic, actually. Whoa. So look well, forward to the tragedies next week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell my DMC2 story in a minute. Like, I, I was in college when this game first came out. Uh, it was right around the time that both, I mean, it was a real heck of a run for PlayStation 2 because it was right around the time that I was playing Metal Gear Solid 2 and Final Fantasy X, which are like, some of the like some of my favorite games ever that just happened to release in this little like four month window yeah, or whatever. It's a good time for you. So uh, I was kind of bouncing around between a lot of different things. And this one, like the original DMC, I was introduced to it by Matt Miller, who uh, I went to college with. And he uh, he was like, you know, Joe. I think you would really like this. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty into Metal Gear Solid 2 right now. I don't think I need <laughs> I don't think I need another video game. And he's like, look, just trust me. And I got I got obsessed with uh, with Devil May Cry so much to the point that the first video game I ever pre-ordered was Devil May Cry 2. Ooh. 
I'm sorry. Which, as I hinted at earlier, was a phenomenal disappointment. And it was also the first video game that I ever traded in. Wow. <laughs> you, is this where you got your attitude of like, you started telling everyone to stop pre-ordering games forever? <laughs> oh yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. No, it, it, was, it was more like, I, I, I think, uh, it's it's hard to say. I think I think everyone just like loved this loved this first game so much. It was so like universally loved that I think everyone was expecting that kind of more of the same element to it and that is not what it's, it feels like well, I don't want to step on your toes for the next episode, but they kind of lost sight of uh, you know, what made this game so special, which I, I feel like it, it kind of blindsided us too, because we didn't everyone's like super excited for two, everyone's like pre-ordering it. You pick it up and then you start playing for a couple hours, you're like, oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh no, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but like there weren't there weren't any like early reviews to uh to warn you. Yeah. May I mean maybe there were. I, this was actually so. I mean, like I said, I, I was in college when the first one came out. So this was yeah. prior even to my Game Informer days. But then by the time the th uh, the third game came out, I was at I was at GI, and they. I remember Capcom brought a playable build into the office, and we like, uh, you know, got to got to talk to the director about it and all this sort of get get the details on it. And I remember after getting my hands on that playable preview build thinking like, Oh good. Things are back on track here. Like even, even in the preview phase, it was clear that DMC three was good. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went, uh, game informer did a cover story on devil may cry four after, uh, after three hit, hit it so big. And so I got to, that was my first trip to Japan, got to go to Osaka and see the team and, check out the game and write up that story about it. And then what? Well, yeah, I mean, the short version of the rest of it is like, I, I just played these games. I play the heck out of these games whenever they come out. I love them. I don't need to give you the play by play. <laughs> you know, Joe, I'm glad you brought up earlier they, uh, <clears throat> that you were busy playing Metal Gear Solid 2, so you didn't think you'd be ready for this. Because actually, uh, during the research, I found an archived copy of Reiner's review for Devil May Cry. I don't know if you've ever read it or you remember it, but in I, I don't. It's pretty great. It's definitely indicative of early 2000s, I guess, game reviews, because the entertainment section, all Reiner wrote was this kick ass action game you've been waiting for. Look out, Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really a time back then. Writing those right, writing those bullets is never easy. And then you just add in the fact that it's early 2000s and. I can't even go back and read stuff that I wrote back then anymore. It's, it's yeah. painful. Yeah. It's so specific to that time. It's like, you, you read it now. You're like, what, what's that? What game is that? Did that come out this year? I guess <laughs> I want to do that for all my, look out Elden ring. I would have yep. written that if I reviewed breath of the wild too. <laughs> but, look out horizon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I were still reviews editor, I would take that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, John? Uh, Devil May Cry one. Yeah. What did I, do for you? So. I was late to the PlayStation 2 generation, but I remember this uh, like going into I must have been a Funko Land at the time. I don't know when Funko Lands changed over to GameStops or EBs or what, whatever the, the transition was. But um, I remember going in and just like hearing the person behind the counter talking about 
the trailer that was playing on the TV and is for Devil May Cry and how they were talking about how it, it was originally supposed to be a Resident Evil game and it turned into this weird action title that just looked really freaking cool. <laughs> and that was like my initial impression of it. it was just like, wow, that looks awesome. I can't play this. I only have a, a GameCube. <laughs> so and and a Dreamcast. Uh, my dad was the one who who had the PlayStations. And uh, yeah, I I wouldn't actually play this game for a couple years later or until a couple years later. Uh, but I loved every second of it when it when I did end up uh, getting to it. It's it, it's a nice it's a pretty breezy game, like what, like a dozen mm. hours or so uh, or or less to complete. Um, you can kind of take it out in a weekend. And uh, yeah, it's just fun from start to finish. What a flex there, by the way. You called Devil May Cry 1 breezy. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. breezy breezy in terms of uh, length. Like pacing and length, yes. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult game. Yeah, it's a pretty demanding game. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, look, I got a Saturday afternoon. I got a mojito by my side. I'm just going to sit here and really kick back with some dmc i don't know I if like, it's John, quite... were you just like secretly really good you just like one shot at everything yeah i mean i i wasn't terrible at the game I, like i was with dmc3 which i don't think i ever got past the second boss in that game so um <laughs> at least you got past the first one yeah that cerberus was still a pain in the ass <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. well uh that'll definitely be a topic of discussion for this episode is the uh <laughs> game's brutal difficulty uh as for me i got lucky with this game where i someone let me borrow this game a friend of mine because i would have been 2001 in eighth grade getting ready to go into high school and i had a, a buddy that got it and he uh let me borrow it right he's like hey have you heard of this devil may cry thing i'm like no and you know to my it opened my my mind as a fan of action games you know like most people it's like i've never played anything like this like i can i can pop this dude in the air and i can just shoot him and he just takes it and juggles around this is amazing and man this dante doesn't get any cooler than this guy i'm i'm super oh, down for this and then this friend and i think we've all had this sort of friend where he never for whatever reason asked for it back so i kind of kept it and it's i don't know if it's stealing technically well because i kind of forgot that (laughs) this is a weird thing i had it for so long because it took me a little while to get through because it's hard um but you know i I heard it was pretty breezy mark it's pretty breezy yeah i I didn't i don't know what was so difficult about it (laughs) it took me multiple weekends it turns out (laughs) um but you know when you own something that isn't yours for so long that you kind of forget that it's not yours I kind of had that a little bit, and then I kept waiting for him to ask for it, and he, like, I don't know if he just completely jettisoned from his mind the memory that he gave this to me, because it never came up in any way. Like, I saw him regularly, and then eventually I sort of forgot, and then when we ended middle school and I went to high school, he went to a different school, I just kind of kept it. (laughs) So I still have that copy to this day. I mean, I think I, I, I don't know if I have video games like that, but I definitely have several books that I've borrowed over the years that are like, well, Damn. that person's never getting that back. <laughs> but, See, that's worse. That's, that's knowledge. See, nobody cares about a dumb video game. Probably. Okay. It's cheaper, well, though. This video game is mildly based on a book. 
yeah, I think it's a direct adaptation from yes. what I remember. Yes. <laughs> it's um, a prequel to EA's Dante's Inferno. Oh, yes. Oh, Don- Dante's Inferno. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that that actually brings up though something that I think is is interesting. I don't want to I don't want to like uh flaunt my age here, but I think I think there's something to be said for like playing the playing this game with a uh sort of understanding of the stuff that had come before it, right? Not to not to throw eighth grade Marcus under the bus, but <laughs> I think I think that there's something interesting about uh when, when you when you when I picked up Devil May Cry for the first time and realizing that like, okay, there have been action games before. There have been games about swords and samurais and demons and guns and all that and all that stuff before. But that sense of like, that you were really playing something new is, I think, like, I, I don't know how many times in my life I've had a feeling like that. Like it, it's it's a rare thing in gaming, right? And that's not to say yeah. it's it's bad that like so many games kind of like are iterative, build on the shoulders of of things around them, or do really innovative things in certain areas. But I don't know. To me, at this time, given all of the like ash, action games that I'd played beforehand, I was just so surprised at how unique DMC felt, and. You know, and I don't know, again, I guess, Marcus, tell me if I'm wrong, but like as an eighth grader, when you played it, was there anything more than just like, wow, this is awesome. Was there any sense of it being like influential also? I mean, it was definitely like, I'd never played anything like it and I love action games. And it's one of those, it's it's weird to look back, right? Because there's some games like that that are so influential that it almost feels like, how has this not been done before? Like this is this is how action game should be. And how did we live before this basically, right? That is hard to look at action games before this game. You know, you can go back and play stuff, but there's almost like a weird fogginess of like, what was I playing that I thought was good before this came or came along and said, you know, sit down loser. <laughs> Let me show you how it's done. But yeah, it was definitely, I don't think I, I don't think I registered that this would have the, the long-term impact that it would have but i definitely got the like this is incredible like i remember just being on an amazing high because it, it felt like i was playing a movie like this wasn't that far removed from like the matrix you know right and it yeah. definitely had a, a bit of that later. like uh like stylish uh combat style especially stuff or like a jackie chan movie too which i was really into as a kid like just going in a, like going into a room and feeling like not scared but like oh you guys are screwed i'm here and yeah yeah <laughs> Well, you know, then, ne- then never mind. I retract the I retract the age stuff I said before. You don't. Well, you know, you don't have to. I don't know that you do have to be of a certain age to really appreciate something that's groundbreaking like that. Then, yeah, I I think the the thing that really was groundbreaking for me was seeing an action game that, like, t- typically in those days, if if you had a an action game where you were playing as like a person. Uh, you're pretty grounded, like you're sticking to the ground, like you're you maybe have a sword like uh, Onimusha um, or you're you're just uh, fist fighting people and like some some sort of a brawler. But the, the thing that really stuck out to me was like Dante's like double jumping up walls and like uh, he's like pinballing everywhere and like 
having those fighting game sensibilities of having combos and juggling and all of that was just spectacular for the time. It was it was something so out there and wild and smooth and everything just worked. Um, it was yeah, it, it really stood out as as something new, like you were saying, Joe. Yeah, I think the fighting game sensibility is an important thing to bring up. I haven't actually I I haven't read any comments about this if they've if they've made it in terms of how how influential that stuff was but like that's what it feels like a single player action game that has been adapted from the sort of like core concepts of a fighting game a lot of aerial stuff like you say like things like juggling and launchers and you know it sort of plays around with a fighting game vocabulary but bringing it to players who aren't who weren't necessarily into that like you know that arcade fighting game scene yeah it's it's an amazing game (laughs) it's the short the shorthand version of it is is like and it came out in a year you know we'll get to the other games that came out this year in a second but it came out in a very strong year that you know was the start of a lot of franchises or just maybe like the best version of an existing franchises or games that also changed the game in their own ways like this was just another one of those and like 2001 was like a wild year (laughs) it sure was uh, in terms of releases and it's up there as one of the best years ever you know uh so in a way it's fitting that this game came out this year because it would it would be one of those games that was set sort of like the modern template for its particular genre going forward yeah yeah that's another funny thing about it i think is if you look at um like like where would games be today without like st- you know stylish action as as a descriptor and this is sort of where that came from yeah absolutely so, lots of things like lots of tributaries flowing into devil may cry but i feel like that's sort of a nexus point and then the things that take inspiration from it sort of flow from that rather than the things before it if right that, if that makes right. sense so anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt marcus so you wanted should we talk about the the context 2001 and what was going on yeah 2001 you know like we alluded to before an amazing year for games uh, uh, a wild year in general and i'm just gonna run down some of the big games that came out this year this isn't all of them but it's a pretty decent chunk so in addition to devil may cry uh, we also got Halo Combat Evolved, which is the first Halo game for that little game. young eh. dudes out there. <laughs> and the and, launch of the Xbox. Yep, that's yep. <laughs> just a little, a little news story there. Yeah, uh, Grand Theft Auto Three, which may as well have been just the start of the Grand Theft Auto series in some ways. Uh, but you know, established open world sandbox games to what it is now. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty, like we mentioned before. Final Fantasy X, Advance Wars, SSX Tricky, Eco, or Ico as I grew up saying it, <laughs> Jack and Daxter, The Precursor Legacy, Super Smash Bros. Melee, Silent Hill 2, Max Payne, Gran Turismo 3, A-Spec, Luigi's Mansion, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, Golden Sun, Paper Mario, it's a late-in 64 game, mm-hmm. and uh twisted metal black and those were just a few just a little sample so we were eating real good in 2001 when it came to video games was this uh what was your favorite game in 2000 was it metal gear 2 uh joe 
my game, my favorite game of that year, boy. I mean, I think, honestly, I think it, I, I, this is a total cop out answer, but I think it'd have to be a, probably a three way tie at, at that point. Yeah. Between Devil May Cry, Metal Gear, and Final Fantasy X. Like, there's no way, there's no way at the end of 2001, I think, that I could have really decided between those, I don't think. I think mine was GTA 3 and kind of with a bullet. As much as I love, like, Metal Gear Solid 2, like, I'm a big Metal Gear fan, too. I love Final Fantasy X to pieces, Don't Make Cry. I was genuinely obsessed with GTA 3 in a way that I rarely ever am with video games. Yeah. <laughs> Where I, like, all I could think about at school was going home and trying some dumb thing that's like, I wonder if they'll let me do this. <laughs> so, yeah, that was for me. Do you remember what yours was, John? Yeah, so, I mean looking back on it now probably gta 3 because i i was also similarly obsessed with that game um just i I would just sit in like cars and listen to the radio and turn on like chatterbox and yeah and and just like watch the rainfall and and just (laughs) just time would just pass and uh i would just chill in that city um but at the time it was smash brothers melee with hands down that was the only game i thought about uh like it was super late in that year, but uh, when my friends and I got GameCubes, like that was the game that we were playing all the time. John, I need to know, <laughs> since you brought up Chatterbox and GTA 3, have you, yeah. am I the only nerd that has ever driven around in real life and put on that station on YouTube to basically feel like real life GTA <laughs> and uh, just listen to it on your car radio? <laughs> no, but I want to now. You should, uh, I, I should do that, it. But. That had never occurred to me that I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> So there must be, yeah, like YouTube playlists of GTA oh, yeah. stations. Yeah, I did it within the last year. <laughs> I, I would 100% good. do that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I may have to do that at some point. <laughs> you feel real cool it's... when you're jacked up and pull up next to somebody. <laughs> I'd probably have to do it from, I, I have much more, much fonder memories of the Vice City soundtrack. But Fair. still, yeah. Fair. Yeah, some love fist going. Uh, in terms of movies, those old moving pictures that we all like to go to, uh, this year we got the best picture at the Academy Awards, which was A Beautiful Mind, which I enjoyed personally. I've never seen it. Okay. Just uncultured. Uh, no, I'm just yeah, that's kidding. me. I'm an, I'm an uncultured <laughs> swine. Uh, we also got The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring as well as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is crazy that we got the first wow. installments of both of those franchises this year. Yeah. And I think that like the Harry Potter one is still going. 20 years later, yeah. they're still making Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Well, we're still getting Lord of Rings too. We got that Amazon show that everyone's really excited and has no problems with from what I understand. <laughs> Looks exactly <laughs> how, how they thought it would. Yep. <laughs> Um, another big franchise started this year as well. The Fast and the Furious, the first one. Uh, we also got Ocean's Eleven, Jurassic Park 3, Spirited Away, The Mummy Returns, Monsters, Inc., the first Shrek. Was this year? Like, 2001 was the start of a lot of big franchises. Uh, I have to jump in and say I just had to look it up to double check to make sure my memory was correct. That 2001 is also the year that Final Fantasy Spirits Within came out. Oh, who could forget? 
my favorite final fantasy movie i saw that in theaters and i i can think of few movies that i walked out of where i was completely bamboozled as to whether or not i enjoyed what i watched it (laughs) it looked nice what happened yeah it definitely looked nice i was like what actually happened oh i was totally on board i left the theater for that one and was like like I was impressed, I guess is the way to say it. I didn't have any illusions that it was a, you know, good, cohesive story, but I walked out of it very entertained. I felt like it was money well spent. You didn't which, think, uh, do you think it was money well spent for Square? Oh, absolutely not. No, that was almost, <laughs> I mean, that was almost a catastrophe. And I mean, kind of, if I'm remembering correctly, is sort of partially responsible for Sakaguchi actually like leaving the company. So that sounds right. You know, uh, maybe not a great move, but I was a happy theater goer in 2001. Hey, that's all that matters in the end. And in terms of general news stories, uh, number one I have here is uh, Final Fantasy Spirits Within almost ruined Sakaguchi's career. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of uh, bigger news, as we mentioned before, the Xbox launched this year, Um, but it wasn't it was far from the only console to come out. Because Nintendo had a double whammy where they released the Game Boy Advance on mm-hmm. June 11th in the U.S. And then on November 18th, released the GameCube, which I don't think it ever registered to me till now that we got the, the GBA and the GameCube in the same year. I always thought, hmm. I think I always thought they were a year apart for some reason. But that's pretty cool. I don't think they've ever done that again, <laughs> unless I'm forgetting. Mm. But uh, this was, uh, you know, in a year full of new life. Something has to die. Unfortunately, Sega discontinued the Dreamcast this year on March 31st and then also said, hey, we're uh, piecing out of this console making business thing because it's uh, it's hard out here now. Yeah. You know, thanks for coming. I mean, I think they probably got out at the right time, considering like that that Xbox was just about to enter the fray. I mean, they Sega wouldn't have been able to hang with. (laughs) <laughs> with with xbox at that point right i i think first gen xbox they would have been able to handle it it's, <laughs> it's really just second it's it's the 360 that would have put the nail in the coffin i don't know john i think the sega executives saw the rock and they were like oh, we can't compete with that <laughs> we, we smell what the rock's cooking who who can we get on our who what wrestlers can we get to stand next to sonic the hedgehog <laughs> here's wcw superstar david arquette <laughs> Former world champion David Arcadia yeah, to talk yeah. about this crazy tax. Respect on <laughs> um, another uh, sort of closure of sorts. Midway announced it was pulling out of the arcade business this year, which you know was a big pretty much end of an era for a company that <clears throat> really made its name in the uh, coin op business. And also, Activision acquired Treyarch, which hmm. would kick off a very long and pretty successful uh, partnership that continues to this day. And then, of course, the biggest news, of course, for me and you, John, uh, this is this uh, year that the XFL had its first season. And, and also oh, yeah. He hate me? Within the My year. My favorite player? <laughs> yes, he hate me. He hate Big me. star. I think that's who Sega was trying to get to counter the rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the XFL began and ended in 2001. The, the, oh, I guess I should sell the first XFL. I forgot we got that yeah. new one. That, the pandemic that, that also began and ended in like the same year. And now they're trying to revive it. The yeah. Rock, funny enough, because he bought yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> he's, he's everywhere today. With that Xbox money. <laughs> yeah, he's been saving it for this moment. <laughs> so, yeah, that is a, 
a good look at 2001 as a you know in a gaming year yeah uh fun to look back on but now let's move on to the development history of the first devil may cry kick us off john or should i say let's rock baby i, I think we should we should say yeah. that actually um all right let's rock baby please let's rock baby <laughs> Uh, so I'm glad definitely. we all sound so cool right now. <laughs> That's what this game's all about, and we are the lamest. Oh, okay. Uh, Devil, Devil May Cry uh, was originally going to be one of the 80 uh, prototypes for uh, Resident Evil 4. Yeah, sure, it's 80. You might be underselling it. I uh, it like could be a, yeah, three, yeah, 300. Um, like yeah. I feel like every month there was a new, like, rumor about what Resident Evil 4 was going to be. Like, uh, wasn't uh, Leon supposed to be, like, haunted at one point, or... The, the, the Hookman demo, I think it was known as. Yeah. The, the that, there were, Man. There were so many different variations of that game, but uh, this was the first. Uh, so um shinji mikami the creator of resident evil wanted uh hideki kamiya who had been working on resident evil games uh for most of his career uh to create uh the fourth resident evil game and that kind of twisted and turned as kamiya started developing it into like he he originally wanted it to be about a guy named tony uh, who had superhuman powers, who was, like, indestructible. And uh, what, what it says here from uh, a, a development blog from Kamiya is that Tony was an immortal man with abilities beyond human knowledge. And it was, it was going to be somewhat like what Albert Wesker had uh, for his powers in Resident Evil and trying to tie all that stuff together. But eventually... Uh, Mikami's like, hey, so we don't need the actual like fear element of Resident Evil uh, to be in this game. So Kami has started focusing on the cool factor instead and just went hard into making the coolest game he could. Uh, and, and the word cool is really just the centerpiece <laughs> of what eventually became Devil May Cry. I mean, that's what they brought him on in the first place. He's right? a cool they dude. Wanted, they wanted a new direction for whatever Resident Evil 4 was going to be. And Kamiya had like a rep at Capcom. I was like, oh, he's like this young sort of punk rockish <laughs> designer. Like, yeah. I bet he's got some pretty radical, youthful ideas to take this in a new direction. And it's funny because like even even with with Camille was going and them knowing his tendencies, even they were still surprised. They're like, wow, this is, this might be too radical. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you put the guy that's like Mr. Mr. Cool on this. And he, he gave you exactly what you wanted, I guess. But yeah. Nope. I don't, I guess I, I don't know for sure that it's necessarily a like failed prototype either though. Right. It's no, yeah. it just evolved into its own thing. Uh, yeah. It was just originally supposed to be, uh, uh, a a version or it's supposed to be Resident Evil 4 but it just yeah. morphed into its own thing so yeah so it's, is it like a successful failure like, I, this is, I would say it's a very successful as, yeah like Capcom saying like alright this maybe is too weird for Resident Evil but there's something here though we can't yeah yeah I think I think that's 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 part of what's so cool about it is to be like alright we told you to do something crazy and you did 
we don't want it anymore for <laughs> Resident Evil. But it is good enough that like we really think you should turn this into your own thing. And I don't know, I think I, I think that's kind of in some ways, I think that's kind of exceeding expectations. I mean, not really, because being the next Resident Evil entry would probably would have been a good thing. But I think it's also pretty cool that this like this experimental uh, sort of venture that Kamiya took ended up being like a, another major tentpole franchise for Capcom. Do you think it's coincidence at all? Because you mentioned how original Tony Dante was going to have sort of like Wesker-esque powers or at least because it's not like because I don't remember really Wesker getting all like legit super powered up until RE5 but with that in mind if they had that in their heads already the fact that in RE5 that Wesker rocks like a trench coat do you think that's coincidental or like a callback to Dante because it's just I don't know in my brain it's like there's a through line there that I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a bleed, like elements bleed over though, too, because like, I mean, you look at like Dante's hair, he like, he looks like a white haired Leon Kennedy to me. Oh, right. Especially DMC one Dante. Yeah. So I think, I mean, if, if there are elements of one franchise that are sort of populating into the other, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's like, Hey, that was like this was our idea before and we can't use it exactly like that anymore, but we're going to use something close. Uh, so with this new direction with Devil May Cry, uh, Kamiya decided to take the, the technology in, in a different direction. They were working with the PS2 now uh, instead of the, the original PlayStation. So they had a little bit more horsepower to work with. Um, and it was also in service of making the game cooler, <laughs> uh, which is going to be. Uh, it's going to be a pretty big theme going yeah, how forward. How many whiteboards but, in their office had a, it's, someone it's write, just, make just it cool, cooler? <laughs> cool. Uh, Tony, is that a cool name? Um, but yeah, he, he wanted he wanted instead of uh, the game was originally supposed to have pre-rendered backgrounds like. Resident Evil had, I believe Onimusha at the time had had something similar, uh, but also had a, a little bit more uh, of the the 3D rendering for the uh, the environments. But he wanted a, a, a dynamic camera to follow Dante around uh, to make the action more impactful and make it more cinematic. Um, and mo- most importantly, just make it cool. Um, so there were some hesitations from people on staff about uh, how like the, pre- the pre-rendered uh, backgrounds looked nicer to them uh, because, I mean, they were, they were just painting them. They were putting them on the screen. You didn't have to worry about polygons and, and other textures and stuff. And so Kamiya went to Europe and did a bunch of research on like Gothic, Gothic architecture um, and came back and, and they went to work on making a more realistic 3D environment uh, that, that somehow represented those castles and, and gothic structures that he went to go look at. Um, it wasn't quite as realistic looking as the, the pre-rendered backgrounds, but uh, he, he did like the... Let me, let me see if I've got the, the quote here quick. He said that he loved the way that the PS2 uh, CPU worked, worked hard, 
and draws the video, uh, which makes you feel the hard work is is the quote from him. <laughs> um, feel this hard work. You feel the hard work. Um, he said, for the user, it doesn't matter if they can see the beautiful screen, but I feel irresistible at the moment when I feel I'm doing my best on PS2. Uh, this is a rough translation from, from Google Translate, but this this is directly from his developer blog for DMC1. Mm. Okay. I was like, it sounds well, like a song lyric. Well, and they are they are able to use, even though it's not actually pre-rendered backgrounds, you also don't have full camera control in in DMC. So it's not like you know, it's not like you're rotating around this whole uh, gothic architecture or whatever. They're still able to really sort of control your perspective and give you a picturesque sort of cinematic flair. Right. Yeah. By you controlling know. where and how the camera moves for you. Right. So, uh, yeah, which pretty... is what the original God of War did that too, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah you couldn't control the really in any of those games. No, right? except until <clears throat> the newest until the new one. one. Yeah. Maybe a, I maybe Ascension. I don't remember if you could do it in Ascension or not. I don't think anybody played Ascension. <laughs> yeah, nobody exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I find really interesting about the development of this is that I I hadn't heard this until a few years ago. I don't know if this is an old story resurfaced or just a new revelation, but that the whole idea of this sort of aerial combat launching and stuff was an idea that they got. <laughs> Because from a from a bug in Onimusha Warlords, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that that there was some like in development within the studio. You know, they would see each other's games, and Kamiya saw a bug in Warlords at one point that was causing like carrot like uh, enemies to stay up in the up in the air as they were getting attacked. And he saw this mistake and was like, "Yeah, I That's want to be cool. able to. I want to do that on purpose. That is cool." <laughs> Capital C, cool. That, yeah, really yeah. He was playtesting the game <clears throat> at the time. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, why is it that everyone at Capcom only discovers combos if it's a bug and then <laughs> decides it's like the coolest thing in the world? Because the same thing happened with Street Fighter 2. And that game wasn't designed with combos in mind, but people did find little glitches and bugs in the combat. And eventually they added uh, a cleaner way of doing combos in that game. And the rest is fighting game history. Like every game has combos now. Yeah. Is that just a weird, you know, I, I obviously not a game designer, but is that a weird thing to conceptualize? Like trying to purposely invent like a really tight windows to where like, hey, if you knock a guy in the air and react in this split second, you can catch them for they hit the ground. And then if you do this specific kick, because it's the fastest kick, you can keep extending it. Like, I'm sure there's people that think it, because obviously people, they make combos all the time, but maybe there's something about it where maybe that's why you can only find how luck. combos work and plus for minus frame. It's funny, though. I think that 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 actually ties into something about Devil May Cry that I think is like a, a big strength of it. And that's I think for a lot of people that those sort of fighting game sensibilities are very intimidating. Even, even for some, like even for people like us who spend our, like whose jobs involve games, right? Yeah. There is like, unless you are sort of immersed in like the fighting game community and you play a lot of those, I think that there's just an element there that's intimidating. And I think that that's, Something that Devil May Cry did that was so smart is make it approachable. Playing single player so you don't get that sense of like, 
being judged or being, you know, destroyed in some sort of competition or something. So it gives you this like freedom to experiment. And it has just a very, uh, okay. I'll probably, I'll probably want to walk this back later, but in my, (laughs) but in my mind, I remember this combat system as being surprisingly intuitive which I think if you look at your fingers as you're crab clawing different moves, it looks really it looks really complicated. But I think that there is something intuitive about the idea of like, okay, you hold this button as sort of a shift and hold backwards and attack, and that's how you like do a launcher. And you hold it to go up in the air with them. And you know, those kinds of things I think feel uh I don't know. I Maybe intuitive is the wrong word, but it still feels approachable to me and not intimidating in a way that you have to worry about, you know, iframes and counters and all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's funny you say that because even, you know, just to get a little bit ahead, but post launch on the other end, this game did kind of garner like a fighting game esque community of people sharing combo strategies and like breaking the game and finding ways like, hey, you can you can pop this guy in the air and keep him up for even longer than you think if you maybe combine weapons this way. And it had like a bit of an underground, like on forums, people like sharing videos, you know, really crappy compressed videos, I would imagine of like, oh, wow, I didn't yeah. know you could combo with these weapons. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to do that. You just ran through this guy that took me a little longer to beat. Um, I found the blog post that Kamiya posted about the combat in this game. And he said that the coolness uh, of, of Dante may actually be entrusted to the player. Um, there are various actions for Dante, but it depends on the skill of the player whether it will be a cool Dante. I mean, I have certain I would <laughs> love to know, but I have certainly had times playing, I think specifically DMC, where I feel like I'm underperforming. And there's a part of me that feels like I'm doing Dante like an injustice. <laughs> like this isn't <laughs> Dante that that I think he should be, and it's my no, fault. No one's gonna yeah. hire this Dante. Yeah. Yeah. Here's cool Dante doing the seventh stinger in a row. Nice work, stinger. buddy. Stinger. Yeah. Gunfire. These grades aren't getting any higher. It looks like, uh oh. <laughs> e D D. Um, it. Kamiya says the secret to the strategy is to decide the combo efficiently uh, by interweaving various techniques. Instead of using only the same technique, the combo's evaluation will be higher. Also, the enemy, especially the boss's attack, is fierce. But you could see that they are not rampaging around in a mess, but you could closely. Uh, but if you look closely, you could see that they are moving in a predictable way. So they they built the the enemies to have uh, patterns for you to pick out and choose your attacks wisely, um, which is, I mean, something that's been in action games for decades at that point or a decade and a half, I guess, if you're going back to like the NES. But um I mean, Kamiya's one of Kamiya's favorite games growing up was Castlevania, which is where you're going to be seeing a, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these ideas that he's that he's picking up for hard bosses and things you can learn and and kind of choose your moments to attack and and defeat the enemy. Yeah, because that was also Kamiya's, I guess, rep in Capcom was that he was known for designing challenging games and enjoying that challenge and. Like, I, I didn't know about the Castlevania because I'd, I'd also looked up the, the apparently Strider was another inspiration for Devil May Cry's combat, which is another hard game because that was an arcade game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, hearing that he was super into those games to begin with, it's a pretty good explanation for why this game is as difficult 
as it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this game is by no like by no stretch is this a uh like Dark Souls style difficulty. No, we, we, I don't, we established I, it's I don't breezy. think so anyway. It's a breeze. Yeah, experience. yeah. No, I mean it's I think that there may be s- certain segments of of the audience when they were playing it that were expecting something maybe a little more like Dynasty Warriors, right? Mm, Where sure. you just go in and you go in and you mash buttons and you chop yeah. up a bunch of weird demons and marionettes like and power stuff. Fantasy. And like, I think or like an easier power yeah. fantasy, I guess. So. Yeah. And I, so I think the, the important thing about the combat isn't so much that it's like punishingly difficult as much as, you know, as John pointed out, like it's just deliberate. You just have to, and I know this sounds like the same stuff people say about souls games. So bear with me for a second, but it's like, you know, it's like, it's about paying attention to your surroundings. It's about, pattern recognition but i think it's happening on a level compared to a souls game i think it's happening on a level that is like more fast paced and i think it's happening on a level that is more forgiving and with fewer penalties for failure yeah i'd say that it's funny joe i thought you're gonna say that the you're gonna tell everyone to get good i appreciate your actual answer <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> you really thought you were gonna say that uh but no but yeah you're right i mean I have not played Devil May Cry 1 in a while. I wanted to play it before this, but I, I was convinced that I owned one of the HD collections on something, and I guess I don't. <laughs> so I don't know uh. when was the last time you guys touched this game. I only have the physical copy that I sort of stole, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I I think this game, like you said, it's it's like a Ninja Gaiden, like Ninja Gaiden, the three Ninja Gaidens that would come out about a year or two after this one or like Sekiro is probably the best modern example where it's one of the best examples of like, it is you versus the game. Like, yes, you can plug in some like points and get like new weapons and whatnot, but largely like the only way you're going to overcome anything is that you just have to be flat out better at fighting than they are. Like you have to outmaneuver them. You have to be quicker than them. Um, And that's like, it feels like it's more on you of like, if I, can get to this guy and hit him with this combo before he can do the thing that keeps killing me, then I'm good, you know? And I think, at least for me, that was kind of what made the game feel rewarding, is that it, like, it made you as the player feel as cool as, like, Dante the character. Because, you know, in within the context of the game, it's him doing all that stuff, but, like, you're the one, like, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a cool demon hunter too. Cause I just executed that wild sequence of attacks. And- yeah. It sort of gives you the sense of being like the conductor of some demonic symphony that's going on. Right. Where it's, where you're just like, like directing. I mean, like the controls feel, uh, so responsive that I like that. That was another thing about this game. I remember surprising me to a degree is that like, it felt uh, like, like, like the signal that goes from your brain to your hand to the TV was not, was there was just no lag there. It felt, it felt like you were like when you get into the zone with devil may cry, it feels like you're controlling the action with your mind and not your hands, yeah. which I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a, a weird, a, a weird sensation for it. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's been a little while some of my memories of, of this series blend together a little bit between entries. It's been a few years since I've actually like played through Devil May Cry, but I think this, like, if, if nothing else, this game like sets the tone in a lot of ways in terms of like how the controls feel, how difficult the combat is, and you know, especially on the difficulty front, there are some 
vacillations from one entry to the next. But I think that they're always good at finding a spot that feels like that providing an entry point to all sorts of players, but still providing opportunities for the players who are really deeply <laughs> interested in like that hardcore combat. There's still a, there's still a way for you to exercise that, especially through all the like escalating difficulty modes. Oh. Like no one, no normal player is going to go and play, uh, you know, Dante must die. No, but no. for a breezy weekend, uh, yeah, but if you're but if you're into the game, yeah, play some Dante Must yeah. Die. You know, another aspect of the gameplay that I had forgotten about until I was, <clears throat> excuse me, watching some just some gameplay footage uh, was the just the exploration aspect of it. Like, then that's one of the holdovers of this game's mm-hmm. original uh, Resident Evil DNA is that it takes place in one setting in the the big castle on Mallet Island, and that it's got a lot of the Resident Evil e. You know, you're going through all these weird rooms and corridors. It's like it's very claustrophobic in parts. Um, but also there's puzzle solving, which I had completely forgot that this game had puzzles <laughs> until I was looking at some of them. Like there's like a light, you know, like the classic sort of like mirror light directing thing. And <laughs> like just it's so weird. I don't for, from what I've got, I don't think they've ever really done that stuff ever. Yeah, I feel like the, as the series got older, it became more and more of just a pure action game no i mean there was i guess i don't remember many puzzles i remember a lot of resident evil style like this door is locked so then you go into this room you fight some guy and he gives you the you know you got the emerald key and then you and then you go back to the locked door and it's like use the emerald key yeah yeah (laughs) please like there's a problem here the solution is usually murder something yeah yeah so I, I mean, I think you really see the speaking to like the Resident Evil DNA. I think that sort of door and key mechanism, whether or not it's an, an actual physical door or an actual physical key, that conceptual like your way is blocked, get a thing and then go through it. Yeah, that felt that felt very Resident Evil to me okay. at the time. Yeah, I think that's what makes this but. this game interesting to go back to, especially if you're a fan that hasn't played the first one, just to see some of that holdover of what this game was originally going to be. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting that it's, it's also segmented kind of into levels as well, right? It's uh, missions and it's, not levels. Yeah, well, I mean, but yeah, like you're still going through well, the, the same environments, but you, you are given like specific missions that, that are segmented like levels um, to, pro- to progress in, in the game. Like, uh, like it, it's not fully Resident Evil, and it's trying to split off into its own thing, uh, structure-wise. But yeah, there there still is that holdover from when it was an RE game, um, and, and doing its own weird thing with the missions as well. Yeah, I mean, especially early in the game, if I'm remembering correctly, you have a lot of like missions are still like sometimes happening within the same areas, you know. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, that's not always the case. I, one thing that I remember about that structure that I really liked is the idea of doing something in one area and then coming back to that area a few missions later or much later in the game and seeing how much it's like seeing it from a different light, right? Like suddenly, oh, this, 
this grand sort of cathedral that you spent some time in earlier in the game is now like dark and corrupted or in some weird shadow realm or something. I really like looking at that, um, looking at those places that you've been through sort of a different lens later on, which is maybe a lesson. Maybe they knew people like that and they took it too much to heart for Devil May Cry 4, <laughs> but um, which has a lot of repetition. But I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that that I always thought was so neat is the idea of like the sense of place of like, okay, you're on Malay Island and you're in this one big castle and you kind of feel like you get to see all of it while you're there. Wait, Joe, hold on. I'm it's sorry. Like, Did you call it Malay Island? Is that, is yeah. that actually what it is? I, I've I mean, said mallet. that's, that's how they say it in the game. That's what Trish calls oh, it. Man. See, I, I don't remember that. Trish is fancy though. <laughs> she's a fancy like lady. it's actually malin she's just being overly like malay <laughs> yes. malay yeah yeah I, I mean i all i have to go off of is is that one the one thing where i think it's trish who says calls it malay island in the intro oh but, man uh but yeah i like i like that sense grade i like that sense of completion about it right where it's like you're on you're on an island you're in a castle and you you're going into the sewers, you're going up, you're going all over the place. You kind of just get to see that whole sense of place. I thought was really cool. So, yeah, I agree. Um, one other inspiration for this game that we haven't covered that Kamiya uh, has has revealed in the development blog is that uh, there's a lot of Ocarina of Time uh, built into this game. Uh, and he says it's it's a lot of it's like, He's, he says that the like the action of like aiming your weapons and stuff is is kind of more so from uh, Resident Evil, um, but there is like moving like your movement while you're aiming at a, at an enemy and like that whole combat dance is very much based on on his time with Ocarina of Time um, and and learning about like Z targeting and focusing on like one enemy when you have like a room full of things that you need to, that you need to contend with um, and, and finding that uh, more agile action uh, in the game than, uh, than resident evil would provide. So uh, he is looking outside of Capcom for his inspirations. Uh, it was just weird to see Ocarina of time pop up as like a specific inspiration for him that, uh, I, I didn't really recall that uh, in my time playing it, but if, if he says that's that's what he got from it. I'm just picturing, sure. picturing sure, an awkward Z targeting combat in Ocarina, but with Devil May Cry's <laughs> action. I mean, they're both using swords. If you if you count like the, the Deku seeds as as his guns. Sure. Yeah, pretty much. Why not? He's just air juggling dudes <laughs> with his little slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also that's also from an era, though. I mean, if this game's coming out in 2001, like it's this is before a lot of the sort of what would you say, like conventions of 3D, like navigation and combat had really been uh, like solidified. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like like. There wasn't there wasn't the standard that we have today of like, OK, right stick, left stick this button for grenades or, or whatever, like all of that, like developers were still trying different things. And I think that 
I, I don't know. I get like, it's easy to, it's easy to look at that comment from him and be sort of like surprised that like, Oh, Ocarina was an inspiration here. But I think you're, <laughs> it's a lot of people who are still just like, man, has anyone really figured this out? Like, does anyone have the right answer to this yet? Yeah. Uh, maybe this isn't the right answer, but this is pretty close. I'm going to experiment with that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, they're probably, there are probably way more elements of game design that are sort of like written law at this point that we're not even like conscious of anymore. Right. It's just, Oh, this is the way this is done in the way everyone expects it to happen. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of developments almost streamlines. You, you can just pretty much copy paste a control scheme pretty much like 90% of it on any given game and then maybe one or two buttons is specific to whatever your thing is that you're doing. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's how it works. Copy paste. Yeah, yep. yeah that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> game development's so easy. That's why that's why there's all, all that crunch is people just aren't <laughs> copying and pasting correctly. Darn it. Jeez. But yeah, it was it was the Wild West, as the old timers like to say. Like we, nobody knew was doing everyone was doing their own thing. Wow. <laughs> um one one of the things that we haven't really touched on yet is the the music of Devil May Cry, which is full of just like shredded guitars and kind of like high energy metal music, um, which also kind of goes back to Zelda here is that Kamiya says that the um, another influence from Zelda is that the the music changes when when battles begin. Um, so that's another thing that he, that he took for just setting the scene for for fights. Um, and he says that uh, the background crossfades and replaces um, at the same time as battle starts. Uh, he also says that the movie Romeo Must Die was an inspiration. Uh, he oh, said cool. he said the combination of kung fu action and hip hop background music was a big hit. Um, in addition, big hit is a big hit in the movie, which I'm guessing is a song in that. Movie. I saw that movie once in theaters and I barely remember it. <laughs> but I remember Who's it was that? fun. That's, is that is that Aaliyah? Yeah, and I think that was it's not that. too like a year before she died. But yeah, Aaliyah, yeah. Jet Li, and DM, DMX, I think, is in it too. That sounds somewhere. right. Um, Rip. Yeah, what a what a movie that <laughs> I had no idea that had any inspiration on Devil May Cry. Yeah. But that's <laughs> that's funny to me for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I wish we had DMX playing as soon as you entered a room full of <laughs> demons, just like what. Come on! <laughs> He's just popping dudes in the air. What? Smart like, name. I wonder. I'm. I. I'm trying to remember. I feel like even back then, there was something that was a little campy and a little stupid about how hard DMC was trying to be cool. Oh, oh but yeah. not. But I mean, like, not in a way that made it feel like like there were elements of it that were still that were genuinely like cool and fun. But I think a lot of the trappings of it, like white haired trench coat Dante and the uh, like the metal kicking up all the time and stuff. I think there were some elements of that that even at the time felt a little like tongue in cheek. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like. Like, you know, when he's talking to the demons and he's like trash talking them and stuff like that, like. I feel like there's a lot of that. There. Yeah. And, you know, they're reacting to that of like, how dare you? I'm nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm just a cool dude. I'm going to go eat some pizza. Tony. So my friends call me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the pizza was, thing in the beginning is a good, a very yeah. good example. <laughs> the, the pizza thing or like he gets 
but in like one of the opening cutscenes, he gets stabbed with a sword and then Trish picks up her her motorcycle and throws it at him, <laughs> which then stops in midair as he shoots it with ebony and ivory over and over. Like the everything about this game is just nutty in a great way. Or that scene there's a scene in one of the early missions I remember where he gets when he gets the sword Alistair, where it he like tries to pick it up and it just flies through oh. him and impales him. And then in order to get it out, he just like, it's like, like he's getting up off the ground after just like taking a nap. He's just like, whoop, and he just like, like pulls himself up through the length of the sword up over the hilt. And then he like heals up. I remember cringing at that the first time. Like, I thought that was genuinely like kind of gross and like, oh, that looks painful. Why would he do it like that? (laughs) Yeah, it seems like there was a better answer to that problem, but. You know, he's Dante. What are you going to do? But then at the same time, like, watch, I was just skimming through just different cutscenes in this game. I forgot that this game tries to go for, like, melodrama at points. Like, the scene where Trish dies, quote unquote, and he's, like, holding her. And he's, like, genuinely, like, sad and broken up about it in a way that I didn't remember Dante. Because he's so, you rarely ever see Dante show, like, what I would describe as genuine emotion in a lot of games. He's very yeah, sarcastic. Outside of like anger. Yeah. yeah. Outside of like real yeah. anger, but not like, even when he's concerned for someone, there's like a layer of like sarcasm or irony there. But like here, he's like, I can't believe it. it well, I'm trying to remember the line. He's like, I was the one that was going to bring light to your darkness. Yeah. I sh- I think it's, I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. Yeah. And he's like, it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he screams this to yeah. the heavens and the performance is like daytime soap opera level. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a case where there's definitely a disconnect there where it's like, I think in that moment, Dante is being earnest and I think the developers are being earnest. But as a player, I don't think there's anyone who played that and was like affected emotionally by that scene. It's just absurd. Yeah. But, but like, but also... In like a in just a beautiful way. Like if if you want to see just how funny and dumb video games in the early two thousands were, sometimes look up that scene with Dante and Trish because it is fantastic. <laughs> like it is it is a treasure even today. You know if that's it's funny because if that scene happened today, like if they made Devil May Cry six, <clears throat> they did the same thing. Like we're gonna kill Trish. It might actually have an impact because Trish is an established character now and people love her. But in this first game where yeah. she wasn't really anyone except like, I don't know if people are like, no, I'm a hot gamer girl is dead. Dang it. <laughs> like yeah. It just doesn't have the same impact. Also because like not too long before that, she like straight up betrayed you. So if nothing else, you might be a little annoyed with her. Uh, yeah. But. Well, and speaking of uh, established characters that people like, this is the game that introduced Virgil. Yeah, uh, to to the series, though, it's it's funny. The last time I replayed it, I was really kind of struck at how like, at how minimal he is as a like he's he's a boss that you fight a couple times. But like doesn't really have any lines. I don't think he has any lines, as I recall. No. And it's just like, you know, because he appears in that in that N- uh, as, ne- Nello, as Nello yeah. Angelo. Mm. New- Nutella um, Angelo. Which, well, I think it's supposed, I was reading about that a while ago that it's like, I think it's supposed to be Nero Angelo, like Black uh, Angel. I always wanted to say it like um, that as a kid. Like I had to train myself like, no, it's Nello. And not because I knew the history, yeah. just Nero <laughs> just sounded more natural to me. 
Yeah. I mean, so it, it's Nello Angelo, but now they they got to use the name Nero later. Yeah. So that counts for something. But like, uh, it's just, it's it's so interesting how that that character's presence is really just as like a cool boss that you fight a couple times with the in the context of this game the reveal is kind of stupid of like of like oh he's my brother he has the other half of this amulet or something and then he's gone but like but later games are able to so effectively build on that foundation that Mm. it's still fun to see now going back to it yeah it's kind of weird i've always thought that his introduction was odd because they treated as if we already knew who he was because the idea that he's been corrupted by Mundus into, you know, this demon warrior, it's like, well, we never really knew who he was before that. So like they treated like this reveal, like it's Virgil. And I'm like, yeah, who's that? Like, I know, (laughs) I think I knew Dante had a brother and that, you know, because up to that point we're uh, Dante believes or we know that his mother's dead and he believes that his brother's dead and that Mundus is responsible. But other than that, we never see Virgil or encounter him anyway, except for this. So it's like, it's like the thing of like some fiction that'll have like a masked character, even though you don't, and then he unmasked him. We're like, who's this guy? Like we, we never established who his identity is. It's like, why should I care? <laughs> yeah. He did. He treated like this. Reveal. Was I supposed to read the manual? What's, what's going That's on? That's what it felt like. It almost yeah, felt like, yeah. are we missing another story here? Like, even though, you know, this is the first one of these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which again, I think is, is why it's so, which is what like gives devil may cry three, especially so much, so much weight. I think oh, yeah. it's like, yeah. Would you ever uh, recommend sure. playing these games in the chronological order of like the storyline of like playing DMC three and then going to one? Boy, mm, no, that's tricky. It's like the Star Wars no. question of like, do you watch them chronological or the order that they came out? I think for this series in particular, going either in chronological or in release order is a is a problem. Like I think that this subgenre of game right if you're going to play like a stylish action game you're better you're almost always better off to start out with just the most recent one to see how the combat clicks for you and if you really like it i think it's easier to sort of adapt downward if you're really into the story and the and the universe and stuff than it is to like for someone today to play in in like the progenitor stylish action game from 2001. I think that that would be a hard sell to like get through all the way unless, I mean, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, I think that that would be a barrier. Interesting. I feel like at least for me personally, I'm the opposite where if you told me like, Hey, this is the best one, but everything else gets worse from here. (laughs) That's a little more discouraging. Whereas this is okay, but it only gets better. Then it's like, mm-hmm. there's almost like a carrot of like, especially if you play the first one because you don't have the expectations of like, this is amazing. It's like, oh, this is fine. But like knowing that, like, I guess these get really good and this is a pretty good foundation. Yeah. Well, the only, well, I'm going to say the only it gets, problem. It gets real bad and then it gets really good. <laughs> well, here's the the benefit of playing them in a chronological order of the universe is that uh-huh. Devil May Cry 2 is last. <laughs> so... then then you can just skip it entirely if you want yeah i mean but the other thing you could just not you could play them in release order and just not play two like it is 
so not a factor. Because I feel like there's an element of, and again, I don't want to like step on toes of later episodes too much here, but like part of what's so fun about DMC3 is the fact that what happens to Virgil is a known outcome. Right. Right. So like, I wouldn't want you to, like, I wouldn't recommend someone to play DMC3 first necessarily just so the story continues naturally into into DMC one. If that makes sense. Like, I think it's three is meant to be experienced with that foreknowledge going into it, you know? Right. Yeah. But yeah, there, uh, I, I just want to update us on the, the chronology of devil may cry. Uh, the official order as, uh, said by Matthew Walker, who, who worked at Capcom, uh, is that it goes three, Devil May Cry. Two is now after Devil May Cry. What? Before four. Wait, since when? And then five. Wasn't four uh, billed since, when it uh, came out as before two? Did they just change as it? Of, as of, yeah, as of 2019, the, uh, it was retconned to be before four. Um, it was originally supposed to be like just before five. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, that's according to what I'm reading here. Okay. So uh, we could, we could revisit this as the series <laughs> goes on. I'll do more research, but uh, currently that, that is what I'm seeing. All right. Walker. Which is weird. But I mean, to Joe's point, Devil May Cry 2 is so inconsequential to the grander mythos that you could slide that game anywhere at this point, And it <laughs> wouldn't make any difference. Um, Cause that may as well not even be Dante in that game. So <laughs> no, it, I mean, that's a, that's a Lucia game. Yeah, pretty much. It is hundred percent Lucia featuring Dante. Um, yes. And then he rides it to hell on his motorcycle. But um, yeah. yeah. Also worth noting, this is a version of the game that does. This is a, I guess, with the exception of two. Well, I guess like there's no, there's no special edition of this game, really. Right. Like DMC three had a special edition that introduced Virgil. Four had Virgil and Trish and Lady as playable characters. Five introduced Virgil as DLC. This one is like. You're just Dante. Yeah, there is, though, and I did not notice it was a thing until I was looking it up. There is a mode that you can unlock if you beat the hard mode where you can play as Sparta in his human yeah. form, which I have. I don't know how I did not notice it was a thing, but I was like shocked when I was watching footage of this. because I, I, There was a moment where I legit thought it was a mod of some sort because I didn't know... And, you know, Devil May Cry fans, you can feel free to rake me over the coals for this. But like narratively, I I never knew or heard of Sparta's human form. You know, I always just visioned him as like the demon that you see in the cutscenes sometimes. Right. <clears throat> but looking at and I was like looking at his model and it's like, yeah, he was like a sort of aristocratic white haired guy. And I guess that's the form he took when he met Eva, who's Dante's oh. and Virgil's mother. And that's where the white hair comes from. And yeah, you can if you beat Devil May Cry one on hard, you can unlock this skin and, and play through as human Sparta, who basically kind of looks like modern day Virgil, like DMC five Virgil a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he basically just looks like it, like Dante in a Halloween costume, <laughs> right? Like like someone said, Dante, go as some British lord. He's like, yeah, OK, here's a monocle and a fancy coat. <laughs> looks like a vampire. Yeah, uh, yeah, they actually have that Sparta costume as a DLC costume in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Oh, I 
didn't know that either. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It looks amazing. Did you? Uh, and and his devil trigger form turns into Sparta's uh, devil form. That's pretty cool. Which did you neat. guys play with yeah. this mode yeah. at all? Did you? You did, you did Joe? Yeah. Um, I don't think I actually. I'm trying to remember. Maybe that's maybe that's what you get for hard mode. And then it's maybe unlimited devil trigger for Dante must dry, must die. That's, I yeah, think that's and the enemies have like devil trigger too, I believe. And Dante must die. Like they can, they yeah, push themselves up. Yeah. Um, I know that I at least beat it on hard. Cause I, I played, I did have that cool. I mainly just wanted the cool Sparta version, like the cool Sparta devil trigger. Right. Mm. But. Cause I was not a huge fan of the, just like normal skin of the guy but uh i don't yeah i don't know if i ever actually finished dante must die on that one nice i've never finished dante must die on anything on any of those games no, same. i try them for a bit and go this is cool and then the first death i'm like i'm good i'm a, I'm a you know, one and done on on most death may cry games oh that's so that's so sad just one playthrough yeah like I in well, my mind by, I, by the time yeah. four comes around, they make you play through that game a few times <laughs> with different characters. So Well, I I guess for me, part of what makes these games so interesting is that they do have one less so than than like three, four, five, that they do have a very deliberate like post-game progression, right? The idea isn't that you just play through the game once and you're done, but that you do like replay missions on higher difficulties by, you know, buy more moves and things like that. Um, I think I'll like, I, I always enjoy play, playing DMC games multiple times to like get sort of to hit that ceiling. Uh, but yeah, in this, in this first one, that's a little less of a, uh, of a requirement. I think. Do we have any, uh, other notes you want to hit about the uh, dev history before we move on to the, I know we've talked about it a bit, but I would like to do. Not, not really. And I, I wish I would have found more about like inspirations for like weapons and, and stuff like that. But I, I didn't really see anything on, on, on that side of the combat, but I, I, I think otherwise we're pretty good on, on the dev side of things. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, I, I ran down the, uh, the list of weapons in this game because I've always enjoyed Devil May Cry's arsenal in all their games. But, you know, this one obviously a little bit more tame than what it would become. But, you know, you start with uh, Force Edge, which is Dante's main sword that used to belong to Sparta, uh, as well as Ebony and Ivory, <clears throat> you know, the mainstays as guns. Um, but as Joe mentioned earlier, later on, you get Alistair, which is like this lightning sword. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> and I think, I always think that in my brain, I confuse it with uh, Dante's other primary sword, I think Rebellion, because uh, they look mm -hmm. similar. Because uh, then I was like, oh, wait, didn't he keep Alistair? And I was like, no, 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 that was a Rebellion. So I think I think this is the only appearance for Alistair, unless I'm blanking. Uh, it's in Monster Hunter 4. <laughs> oh, that game. <laughs> Ultimate, gotcha. yes. Gotcha. <laughs> um, you also get uh, the Ifrit, the uh, sort of fire gauntlets, which are really cool. And uh, that's pretty much it for like the devil arms, but for like firearms, you get a uh, shotgun, the grenade gun, and then you get the uh, or you get the needle gun as well. And then the last weapon you get, and I, I don't know how you say the symbol, but nightmare. What is it? It's not B, but it looks like a B. Beta. beta that's right. Nightmare beta. Yeah. Uh, which is basically like a. 
demonic like super gun. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much always just stuck with with ebony and ivory and the shotgun. Yeah, pretty much me too. Yeah. I always wondered if I I was kind of felt bad sometimes that I because I always use the melee weapons like I switch between them pretty regularly, like especially like in DMC three. But the guns, I'm usually like, eh, handguns and shotguns kind of get the job done. I feel like pretty covered with those. <laughs> like, I like the juggling of ebony and ivory. Like, I will just sit there and just hammer on that button for like a minute yeah. and just see how long I can keep uh, dolls up in the air. Yeah. And plus, I mean, this is irrelevant to their ability, but ebony and ivory is a real, those are really cool names for guns, like a pair of guns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know who thought of that. I don't know if Kidiki uh, <laughs> Kimia. Just really love Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, but I've always like had a soft spot for like that name. But you know what? Uh, this is not DMC, but there's a similar thread in Bayonetta. You know her her four guns in Bayonetta. Oh, Scarborough's fair. Sc- Scarborough fair because it's parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Yep. I've always thought that was cool. Anyway. <laughs> That's, I think that's really yeah, cool. Herbs are cool, guys. Simon. <laughs> yeah, Simon and Garfunkel, baby. <laughs> but also, there's one secret weapon. Again, Joe, since you like to replay these games, I don't think I ever got this, but there's a weapon called the Bangle of Time that allows you to freeze enemies in a surrounding area. Like, it stops time for them. Yeah. If Oh, I have a vague recollection of this. The thing I remember about this that's that's tricky though is i think it drains your devil trigger as it's being used so in that case it's kind of a pain because i'd rather use my devil trigger gauge on devil trigger mode oh okay right like like i like i would always save it for that transformation rather than the weird time stoppage thing because that like drains your meter so fast right and you don't necessarily get all the extra like damage output that you do when you're you know when you use Alistair to transform into some flying lightning demon and you're just like zapping some fire spider from the sky with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, I, I, but, I think that's how I had it balanced. Because when I first was reading, I was like, wow, that sounds pretty OP. But then I read like the little catch there. I was like, oh, I guess that's how they balance it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did not ever wield it myself. Um, and I guess you either, John. But yeah, those are all the weapons in this game. And so like we mentioned before, this game's story and this is gonna be an interesting thing i want to talk about for all the episodes is like the last thing i probably come to devil may cry for is the story i like the characters but Mm. when you try to explain to me what they're doing in this game (laughs) i'm usually (laughs) either indifferent or you know like i'm just like huh oh okay they're fighting weird angelic demon man i guess sure um i don't this because this game story is the idea is that trish who is this woman who was a demon hires Dante and his business is called devil may cry. So in case you're wondering where the name comes from, uh, and he's like, Hey, you're the son of Sparta, right? Cool. Well, there's this guy Mundus. He's the demon emperor. He runs everything demonic. He's coming back. He's trying to cross into the human world. I'm going to hire you to kill this guy. And you're probably going to be interested in that because I think he, you know, according to you, he killed your mom and, and family and your dad used to have beef with him. In fact, your dad defeated him a long time ago. So you should probably maybe get back on that wagon. And yeah, that's basically verbatim what she says. Yeah. yeah. And then she throws the motorcycle. At him. <laughs> yeah. That's him. 
<laughs> that scene again that scene has always made me laugh because you know she puts on the nice girl or innocent girl act and then she flips the switch and starts like <laughs> beating the crap out of you and she's like him. talking crap to you like i thought you were the son of sparta and like the way her voice kind of changes into the kind of like i'm evil now and it's again it's the performances yeah. that always <laughs> real quick back on the influences train i don't think you can deny the heavy influence that the matrix had on this just in terms of like the action scene presentation and some of the ridiculous cutscene stuff that's happening. Uh, the whole throwing a miters- motorcycle thing reminded me of yeah. that. You don't see a lot of motorcycles get thrown these days, but in the early 2000s, no. they were flying left and right. <laughs> oh, yeah, all over the place. <laughs> uh, so you go to Mallet Island or uh, Malay Island, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a castle there. It said that's where Mundus is uh, going to return and all of his buddies are hanging out. And you basically spend the game just systematically murdering all of his uh minions if fight uh i think the first probably the first real challenge in the game and i think for a lot of players the thing that made you decide if you were going to keep going with this game or not <laughs> which was the spider uh who's uh oh man i wrote his name down i just lost it uh phantom, phantom there we go phantom uh he phantom. is a pain in the butt. <laughs> a phantom pain. It, 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 at least the Pretty first time. Player. I feel like when I went back and fought him, like post game, you know, you can kind of you can wipe the floor with him after that. Uh, but you know, you fight Nightmare, you fight Nello Angelo, which is the really only uh, out of all the bosses, the only real through lines. You fight him a few times. We mentioned before. You find out that he's Virgil, and you only find it out because Dante has an amulet with his mom that's cut in half. He just happens to have the other one. He puts two and two together, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's like you're my brother that I thought was dead, and I guess we'll see you in two more games. <laughs> and eventually, you work your way to Mundus, but then Trish reveals that she's a spy for Mundus, and that it was her all along, sort of, and betrays you. But then it kind of backfires for her because then Mundus tries to kill Trish because he doesn't care about her. And then Dante saves her anyway, because and this is almost like a weird Batman versus Superman moment, but because Trish resembles his mom and that's why he couldn't let her oh, die. No. You know, he, Martha, he didn't say her name. Eva, why did you <laughs> but he's like, hey, you kind of look like my dead mom. So I guess I forgive you for betraying me and leave. Well, no, she's she's designed to look like his dead mom. Oh, yes. That's right. Like. Like the the physical form that she takes as a demon is like targeted to him. Weird. Because like like yeah, she is basically made as a like duplicate of her physical form is like a duplicate of his mom. Oh, okay, gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, that would yeah. fit the plan of luring him to the island in the first place. Exactly. It's not just which I mean is a hair to split, but it's not just like well, she she just coincidentally looks like my mom, so I'm going to help her. It's like no, nah, I mean that was by design. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she ends up taking a bullet for you anyway. So because when just goes to kill Which Dante, she takes a shot. Isn't fatal in this in this universe, as we've seen with uh, impalings aplenty. Yeah, I've always wondered <laughs> yep. what, it, yep. what would it take to kill Dante short of like throwing him into the sun? Decapitation, <laughs> maybe like actual like severance of of limbs. I feel like he would. I guess we've never seen him get, yeah, like he's been impaled multiple times, but like if he lost an arm, 
could he grow it back through magic or is he like a lizard marcus this sounds like a like an interview you need to get you need to get in touch with capcom <laughs> and ask yeah. him the tough ask him the tough questions what's the deal with dante's like what is the <laughs> limit here on his regenerative like <laughs> can he grow a new head if i cut it off tell me <laughs> i i would i'd read that <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll write i'll write that down we'll get, we'll get on that um but yeah you know you uh imagine trish dies we get that hilarious scene that you should absolutely youtube as joe mentioned because it's uh mm-hmm. yes please it's, it's real good and that allows dante to unleash his full power he goes full sparta now and and becomes his uh true demonic form and then we get mm-hmm. what is in my opinion, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Probably the worst fight in this game where you fight Mundus and the weird sort of like on the rails shooter yeah. thing that I remember being oh, really yeah. hard. and But like hard because it was kind of janky and not that it was just challenging. Yeah. In, in general, this is sort of a philosophy about um, final bosses that I feel like was a lot more prevalent back then than it is today and that's like final bosses that are supposed to feel so different and epic that they end up throwing the whole game's mechanics that they've been building up to at that point out the window to like give you the idea being let's end on a like different memorable note yeah rather than let's make this be the culmination of (laughs) everything like that we've been building to up to this point yeah Instead of doing that, let's just put in a weird shooting mini game. Yeah. Like, do you think this is yeah. the worst one of like example of that that you can think of? I'm trying to think of the top of my head, like other bosses that sort of like completely change styles at the end or something. Yeah. Did, did you guys ever play through No More Heroes 3? No. Can I spoil the end of No More Heroes 3? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Don't spoil it here in the like. Who knows what listeners have played or not? Uh, yeah. This isn't this isn't a deep dive on No More Heroes. Too. That's true. Uh, but yeah, that that game does uh, switch it up quite a bit at the end. Yeah. Um, in in a in a wild way. John can put that it in I, the Discord with spoiler tags. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if this is this like a weird once again a prototype for like Zone of the Enders or what they had cooking at Capcom and they saw they saw this on rails shooter thing. And they're like, we want that as, as our, as the end of our game. Um, mm. it, it is an odd, uh, an odd way to, to finish it off. Um, and, and like Joe said, throw away everything that you've been building up towards, uh, the entire game, like all the skills that you've learned. Uh, like it's, we, we've established it. It's a, it's a breezy game. That's, that's pretty easy to, to blow through. <laughs> um, but but I mean, there are there are things that you have practiced and learned, and it, it would be nice to use those in the end. And you really don't unless you're, I guess, playing through the game again on a harder difficulty. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it helps, this technically isn't the last time Dante fights Mundus because you beat him here. The castle collapses uh, and then you go to leave and Mundus returns in a human form and Dante fights him again. But this time Trish shows up because she ain't dead. And she grabs the, uh, I forgot to mention this before, but uh, when she, when Dante buried her, he left her with uh, the sword of Sparta, just as like a little memorial. So she comes back with that, but she also blesses Dante's guns with like magic. And Dante uses that to banish Mundus to the shadow realm, basically, where he uh, vows to return. And that has yet to happen, surprisingly. (laughs) He's never come back. But 
you know, Trish. It is pretty cool in the in when you play as Trish in the DMC four special edition, she has that that Sparta sword mm-hmm. is like is is her uh like one of her weapons. Yeah, and I believe that's her main weapon in Marvel vs. Capcom three too that sounds right yeah like which i remember being pretty powerful in that game because you could like throw it at people and like launch the crap out of them with it <laughs> uh but uh this is like the ending of this game is cool because this is what uh is the beginning of trish and dante's long partnership where they decide to just you know become buddies and and they i forgot about this but they renamed his business to devil never cry and i don't think that's ever stuck or is ever no, mentioned no they <laughs> No, and I think probably because this series took off, and they're like, "Well, we can't <laughs> keep that." <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. There's a there's a yeah. magical line uh, where Trish is apologizing to Dante, and she's crying, and Dante says to her that she's become human and less of a devil because devils never cry, and that's the that's the reason why they named the company Devil <laughs> Never Cry. <laughs> From that, sounds like a from then on yeah a line that sounds like it's from a prince song is it sounds more like they bought it like that their official paperwork was denied and they just had to revert back i guess we have to do devil may cry they're not the city old devil city here isn't accepting our uh our our business application our 502b <laughs> yeah that name yeah i remember watching that cutscene and hearing her say and i remember thinking the same thing at the first time i played this where i was like that just doesn't sound good <laughs> like just go back to calling it devil may cry just less syllables or you know uh so yeah we'll we'll never speak of this again <laughs> after this moment but yeah did you do you guys like this story or do what you guys think like i mean it's it's weird to say like like did you enjoy it or did it matter to you or was it just all about the action and is that kind of your stance with the series in general like do you guys care about the story of any given devil may cry i do i i, I do like the story of devil may, or at least i i enjoy learning more elements of it like who else is part of this this family tree with dante and virgil and sparta um, I feel like if if I'm remembering correctly, a lot of the story in this game is pretty heavily weighted on the beginning and end. Um, and like there there is a little bit in the middle, but um, a lot of the bigger revelations came pretty late in the game. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of those hard boss fights mixed with these revelations between these characters, which kind of accentuated my excitement for the end of the game. Um. But yeah, like I, I like I like Dante. I think he's cool, even if he is kind of a dork. Um, I I like Virgil. I like their dynamic. That Virgil's uh, kind of an antagonist, but they're brothers, and uh, that like they always fall on opposite ends until they don't. I don't know. I'm I'm always just entertained by it. Uh, I don't I don't hold it in like high regard as like the the greatest storytelling in Capcom history. Um, but I I. I like the characters enough to to keep going with the series. Yeah, I think that in in my mind, it's a good analog to something like in, like in movies, something like uh, like superhero movies, like a Marvel movie or something. Right? It's like on some level, I don't especially care about what specific MacGuffin they're looking for or why, but I do like seeing the characters. I do like seeing the characters do awesome things. 
and I like, you know, the sort of high octane spectacle of the action scenes. And that's really what's getting you in the door for superhero movies. And that's what's getting me in the door here. But if there is, if there are elements of the story that are, that are interesting or things the characters do that I like, like I kind of see that as a bonus. Yeah. But that's not necessarily what's drawing me in in the first place. You know, it's not, it's not narrative first, but that doesn't mean it's, you know, narrative absent. Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty much in line with you guys. Like, I love seeing Dante and the crew again. And then, you know, the stories, you know, to, to varying degrees have things that make me maybe raise an eyebrow. Like, huh, that was interesting. Um, by and large, it's just, you know, the guy just want to hit things with a sword and fly around and then see a funny cutscene with a demon talking crap to Dante and him brushing it off. <laughs> um, so, like, that, yeah. that that's enough for me. And, yeah, like I said, anything that somehow gets beyond that is just cherry on top at that point uh yeah and in some sense like the narrative design of the game is really more about crafting the the sort of over-the-top scenarios in which the action is happening right it's it's a lot less about the story and a lot more about setting the stage for yeah you're in some giant decrepit coliseum fighting a lightning bird (laughs) And seeing how that plays out rather than like actually sitting and, you know, writing the and, you know, actually being drawn to like the specific uh, uh, events as they unfold. But yeah. Yeah. So to take this home, uh, this game released to a universal critical acclaim. <laughs> uh, we gave it a nine five, a game informer. Uh, pretty much all the scores that I found were pretty like in that ballpark. Uh, and it's one of those games that, you know, like we said, has since gone on to become, I mean, it's one of the greatest games of all time. One of the most influential games of all time. This game pretty much introduced or kickstarted the stylish action, character action, whatever you want to call this, these kind of games, you know, but like games like the 3D Ninja Gaidens, uh, God of War, Bayonetta, uh, they all kind of fall under this camp, you know, you if you love those games, you can thank Devil May Cry for that. And um, Bay- Bayonetta, especially because that's Kamiya also. Yep, exactly. Yeah, this is really just the, yeah. the follow up to the. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's it's great. I I don't know how it holds up today, but I think it's still worth revisiting. <laughs> if nothing else, like I said, if you enjoy these games and you want to see where it all started, it's it's a fun game to go back to. Thankfully, they've uh, HD it up in like the last decade or so and it's basically everywhere this game has been like dmc1 in particular it's been re-released on every console generation most recently switch in 2019 so you can mm-hmm. take it on the go and look like a cool guy in the bus saying let's rock baby and don't talk just die all kinds of cool stuff i have the switch version i wouldn't necessarily recommend that is it one. not good but <laughs> i haven't played it uh, it's, uh, but you know there are plenty of good ways out there to play this game. And I, I think it's absolutely one worth checking out. I mean, especially if you played it when it, if you've played it before and want to revisit it, mm. if it's your very first stylish action game, eh, I don't know, maybe check out something else first, but it's still, uh, it's still, I don't know. I, I still like, I still think so fondly of this game and it definitely holds a place in my like mental pantheon of like most influential games for my like personal 
gaming taste over the years me too like i adore this genre in general like i play pretty much anything that's in it uh and a lot of yeah it is because of don't make cry so dante always has a special place in my heart because of that he made me realize how cool i could be in video games (laughs) (laughs) and in real life if you try hard enough yeah i bleached my hair right after this it turns out wow it's gonna it's gonna look (laughs) as cool as his i'm sure absolutely so yeah you know that wraps up devil may cry this is a fun chat gentlemen i'm glad that we all grew into cooler human beings because of this oh of course and you know i i look forward to the rest of this podcast as well as uh talking about devil may cry 2 next week um (laughs) which Mm -hmm. you know landmark game well you know thankfully there's only one like legit bad game in this series we just got to get through next week and then it's pretty much smooth sailing for the most part don't make cry for a little shaky but i'd still think it's a good game uh so yeah well and and at least you just have to talk about dmc2 it's not like you have to play it so i kind of want to though i think i think (laughs) i bought a copy last year uh for ps2 so i might actually do that oh wow well you're committed okay well there, I, I will I will be following along as a listener, eager to see what you guys have to say about it. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, you know, uh, it's great having you on. And if you want to follow, you know, all of us on social media, I'm at Marcus Stewart Seven on Twitter. That's the number seven. Yep, uh, I'm on Twitter at John underscore Carson. And then uh, Joe, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter's a good spot for me too, at Joe Juba, all one word. And Joe, is there anything you want to plug that you're working on that you want the people to know about? I mean, I think that you can go check out uh, MinMax, that's MinMax with two N's, where I've been appearing a little bit lately. It's a, a lot of familiar faces from GI over the years over there. And yeah, I don't know, we're just doing doing some fun stuff. Oh, yeah. We most, we most recently finished up a deepest dive on Chrono Trigger which is sort of like a big game club. So we literally sat there. Well, we played through the whole game over four sessions and literally sat and discussed it as a group uh, for 12 hours. That's me, uh, Ben Hansen, Kyle Hilliard, and uh, Rebecca Valentine from IGN. Oh, nice. All just uh, sat and just talked about Chrono Cross for uh, 12 hours. Dang. And it it was a lot of fun. So yeah, you can go, you can go check that out. Uh, on the MinMax YouTube channel and uh, support MinMax on Patreon. Yeah, I'll be sure to listen to it at some point because I have a copy of that Chrono Cross re-release and I've never played Chrono Cross. So, oh, uh, it's, same. It's a it's the re-release is a great way to do it because it's got um, some sort of like convenience modes for you. So it's like speed up. You can speed things up. It's got like like cheat mode on combat. So if you're in the middle of a fight and you just don't want to deal with it. You can just sort of like do the cheat and you win and, you know, then you just get to carry on. That's nice. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, check out Joe there. Watch that uh, Deepest Dive. And yeah, until next week, you know, join us as we embark into the dark era of Devil May Cry, the dreaded Devil May Cry 2. We hope to see you there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.